not minutes. You know how that dead air stuff is. Here we go. There's some music. We're about to get started on the Saturday Show Arg. Poor old Alvin. Alvin! He's probably rolling in his grave along with the rest of his band. Uh, anyway, we thank Alvin for issuing us in every day. Roger Sales, your host. Radio Ranch, the label of our get-together here. It's the Saturday edition, February, almost at the end of this little month. Little month. 25th is the date today. We simulcast couple places the two that i know of consistently are eurofolkradio.com remember paul i said it used to be easy eurofolkradio.com and radio.globalvoiceradio.net network and maybe a couple other ones so hadn't had any any listeners from those areas come forward we'd like to talk to them if we've reached them through there it's interesting to get some proliferation folks I was like the guy in the wilderness for so many years with this message, and uh, it's getting a little more. Yeah, we were talking about that before the show. Yeah, a little more mainstream these days. I continue to get regular requests for the Matrix docs, and had one this morning from somebody that just listened to the Deanna Spingola interview somewhere. Uh, So we get dribs and drabs, and uh, of course, because of that, is the reason we've expanded from just five days a week and added this Saturday show. Because I know there's people that actually, believe it or not, still do have uh, gameful employment, and some of them can't join us during the week, and uh, this is the opportunity for them to get on, ask questions, make comments, get to be a little more of an integral member of the quote-unquote family here, including Mark Strawman. So, uh, anyway, morning. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. Um, morning. Pretty good. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Buenas, buenas. Uh, pretty good interview with Mike Adams this morning. Uh, with Michael Yawn, again. He's going to be a regular over there. And uh, another new guy that's a former uh, Special Forces guy, a doctor. And they were it revolved around the Ohio incident. There's more and more questions coming up that this thing may be a total false flag just a a land grab uh maybe the internet cable uh thing that we mentioned yesterday the fact that the right of way where they lay all these uh main trunk cables are uh, on railroad right of way land because of course the rothschilds have always owned and operated or influenced the railroads uh this land grab thing seems to be like a very very uh integral part of it to me especially being right up there by Amish country. And this guy actually went and met with the Amish. Uh, nobody's got animals dropping dead. Um, uh, there's There's just been some real interesting stories coming out of there, and it'll continue, obviously, to develop. My sense is if that was vinyl chloride with the PVC pellets and all the uh, no telling what other chemicals were involved there, that you'd have people dropping dead in the streets right now. And probably would have been over the last couple of weeks. So, don't know. It's still uh, uh, that gray area. We'll see. But we know with these sorry bastards that nothing is what it appears to be. 
Uh, and we've right. got the best evidence of that. Anybody out there really? Yes, Paul. Maybe, maybe these guys that are calling it a false flag, um, upset the plan. Um, it's possible that they were trying to present that Ohio, Pennsylvania and surrounding areas had been poisoned That's just what, to get people that have property there to put them up on the market that, right that, away and just liquidate them quickly before news got out. That's what I'm saying. And that was a, you know, using that general term false flag to achieve that end. Um, I mean, you know, we can look back at what we do here. Who would have dreamed in 160 years? Has anybody ever come forward and said the Civil War was fought to get the 13th and 14th Amendment in the Constitution so they could control the world with 100 years later? I've never heard anybody say Not that. Okay? Nobody. Okay. You know why? You know why, Paul? Why? Because they didn't know the end game. We know the end game, and now we can look back and put all the pieces together. There were certainly people that had the the insight. Uh, I would cite and mark. If you want to, well, you, you, if you drag up that Wong Kim Ark site I sent you that you read one day, uh, Fuller, right. Fuller and, and Justice Harlan saw it. Clear as bell, okay? Yeah, I mean, they, wouldn't have put, they, they wouldn't have put that in that dissent if they didn't see it, okay? And, you know, Fuller, I went back and researched them a little bit, both of them, actually. Fuller was a, you know what type of attorney he was, Mark? Uh, common law? Land attorney. Land. That's why, he, that's why he knew this, okay? And that was his practice. He was from Maine. He, he practiced. His practice was in Chicago before he got on the Supreme Court, and that was his specialty land stuff. So that's how he obviously knew this. And uh, Harlan, there in 1896, I believe, on Kim Ark was, where that descent pops up. If you can find it and read it, it would be great for the new people that hadn't heard that. But then just a couple of years later, it would be five years later, in 1901, where you had the Insular cases popping up there at the Supreme Court. And again, John Harlan with that masterful descent in Downs v. Bidwell, he knew what was going on. Okay, And then, of course, later on in the 30s, we've mentioned this book a number of times. Uh, by the way, somebody suggested, uh, Paul, if we could get that PDF on uh, the, the collective speeches of William T. McFadden. Somebody suggested. Already had it. Well, somebody suggested putting it on the website. If it's not there already, that's a good idea. Uh, that book is absolutely the goes over everything they were doing from the founding of the BIS which was in 1931 through all the shenanigans in those uh, couple of years there but in one of the speeches it's uh, it, the excerpts in my book and you know it's funny enough when I put that in there Mark and was doing all that years ago I didn't even see that statement and and uh, McFadden's statement is they're erecting a Machiavellian feudal system but, but that's it right there Okay. Cats out of the So there were people that saw it, very few. There were people that saw it, but they don't have the perspective we've got because we know that's what they did, how they did it, the steps they took, and most importantly, how to easily get out of it. And they can't say a thing, do they? They don't say a thing. They can't say a thing. It's their system. They've been caught red handed slaving, folks. What do you got, Mark? Roger. I think I got that section from Wong 
Kim Hart. <laughs> right. Okay, because there's a it's a pretty lengthy dissenting opinion, but it says uh, Mr. Justice Harlan and Mr. Justice Woods dissenting were of the opinion that in that the Indian now we're talking about Native American Indian feather not dot. So the the were of the opinion that the American Indian in question, having severed himself from his tribe and become a bona fide resident of a state had thereby, on that state with a capital S, had thereby become subject to the jurisdiction yep. of the United States within the meaning of the 14th Amendment, right. semicolon, and in reference to the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Which said, is, which is all God, for the audience. The Civil Rights Act of 1866 is the 14th Amendment. That was the legislative title. Okay. And so, and... And he's quoting, beyond question, by that act, they're talking about the Civil Rights Act of 1866, national citizenship was conferred directly upon all persons in this country of whatever race, excluding only Indians not taxed, who were born within the territorial limits of the United States. And there's your within and without thing again. Go ahead. Right. And we're not subject to any foreign power. And that view was supported by reference to the debates in the Senate upon that act and to the, in, in, excuse me, ineffectual veto thereof by President Johnson, in which he said, by the first section of the bill, all persons born in the United States and not subject to any foreign power, excluding Indians, not tax, are declared to be citizens of the United States. Okay. This well, provision. Uh, okay. Hold ahead. on. You notice he doesn't say United States of America. Right. Go ahead. This provision comprehends the Chinese of the Pacific states, Indians subject to taxation, the people called gypsies, as well as the entire race designated as blacks, persons of color, Negroes, mulattoes, and persons of African blood, period. Every individual of those races born in the United States is, by the bill, made a citizen of the United States. Okay, let's see, let, let me give a little background because we're throwing some high-end legal stuff at folks here. Okay, After the Civil War, we got the Jim Crow laws in the two sections, okay? And we went forward. It was challenged two years before this. It, I think 1896 is Wong Kim Ark or eight, six or eight. Which is it, Mark? You got it right in front well, of you. Well, United States versus Wong Kim Ark that was decided by the U.S. Supreme Court, which is what I'm reading from says it's uh, 1898. Okay, 1898. That's two years wrong. All right. So what happened was Wong Kim Ark obviously is not black, okay? And this was back in the 1800s with the huge Chinese influx into the United States, mainly to the West Coast, okay? And so Wong Kim Ark's parents migrated from China to the U.S. He was born in the U.S. That's why he was a citizen of the United States. His parents were Chinese, okay? So uh, Wong Kim Ark grew up, and he wanted to go back to China and visit his grandparents. And he went back, and he spent some time with them, and he came back, and they let him in. Then, a couple of years later, he decided to go back again, and in that interim of time is when the 
there was an overwhelming uh, backlash on the Chinese that were immigrating here in those numbers and the discrimination, etc. Okay, so that had flared up between those two trips, and when he came back for the second trip, they wouldn't let him in. And that's where this case came from. Now, at that point in time, there was so much discrimination against the Chinese, and the only retaliation they had at all was the court system. And so there were tens of thousands of cases. Mark, you probably don't know this background. There was tens of thousands of cases filed by the Chinese, and it was clogging up the entire damn court system. So many. And so they let this one case, Wong Kim Ark, get up to the Supreme Court. And what they did here technically was take federal citizenship, which was mainly associated with blacks, and they spread it to everybody. In other words, they enlarged the superstructure where a number of years later they can capture everybody. So that's why this case is so important and this dissent with these distinguished jurists. John Harlan has got to be one of the finest jurists our country's ever produced, folks. He, he, he was so notorious in his time that he had his own nickname, and his nickname was the Great Dissenter. Okay, his son actually followed his father's footsteps, and his son was also a Supreme Court justice. Did you know that, Mark? No, I did not know. He's that. a very interesting guy. He came from a blue blood family. Problems with my internet. Why are you uh, are you able to get that? Oh, no, Nadine, that's you. You say you're having problems with your internet? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I didn't know I was unmuted. I unmuted I, I, I myself. I'm well, sorry. Excuse well, that's me. okay. That's okay, sweetie. Hopefully, the internet gets a little better. I'm on my phone. Okay. It's new to me. Okay. Well, that's okay. Um, so, anyway, that was the scenario. Uh, of which Mark is touching on here and reading you part of the dissent. There's another part, if he gets to it, where they just nail this as the feudal system. I mean, they just nail it, okay? That's the only place outside of the um, uh, uh, McFadden quote that I've ever seen it directly referenced. But these guys saw it. They they didn't know the end game like we do, but they saw the setup. Okay, so go ahead. Just a little background on it. You know, Mark, well, before you before you yeah. launch, um, I forget who the guy is. Public broadcasting. You can probably go back on the web and find this. Public broadcasting did a whole hour, hour and a half special on this case. That's how wow. I know so much about it. You know, it was one of their big guys that did it. I don't remember Mike Wallace or somebody like that was the host of that. And the entire program is on Wong Kim Ark. Wow. That'd be interesting to find that. I'm sure somebody can find it. So one of you is that uh, public radio like NPR? I or? think it was PBS. It was okay. the actual video uh, uh, program, uh, but it's totally 100% revolving on Wong Kim Ark. That's how I know all that background. That's where I got that from. All right. So I was just kind of scrolling through here and looking at you know where it possibly would reference the feudal system. Well, it's that little site uh, I sent you the other day, and 
uh, and it's a clip and a little a little picture of it. But anyway, it goes in there and it says, if you if you want to look for it, I can basically paraphrase it. But as they get into the depth on the descent, and it's, it references the act, and that's the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which was the legislative working title for the 14th Amendment, and then, of course, it supposedly got ratified. So when they say the act, that's what they're referring to, okay? And okay. it says uh, if... Uh, the uh, the things of the actor we're we're supposed to be uh, looking at here. What it did was it brought forth a relationship of a liege man to a liege lord. Right, this is feudal stuff, okay? And that was absolute and unbending and unchangeable by time or space. And it goes on and it says that this brought this onto our country just at the time when England was being relieved of its inconveniences. Okay? Now, it's instructive to, I keep learning here. Okay, and finding these little nuances. And this is something that just came up recently, within the last month, six weeks. Um, and Brent was on here one day, and we were talking about the Free Soil Act. You remember that conversation, Mark? The English mm. Free Soil Act? Um, well, what happened over there was at some point a guy that owned slaves took one of his slaves to England. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, free, I want to say free, it wasn't free, it was, anyway, it was a common name. The guy took his slave to England, and the slave, when he got to England, said, England's a free soil country, and he took off. And they caught him and brought him back, and it came to court, and they said, this guy's free. And the free soil doctrine of England is, if you set foot on English soil, you're a free man. Okay? And so that gave me the insight on why it says in that site right there, the English common law variety of slavery. The English common law rule is what they call it. And that's this free soil doctrine. So in 1066, when William the Conqueror came over from England or Normandy and conquered England and instituted the French or the European common law over England, which included feudalism, that's how feudalism got to English soil was in 1066 with William the Conqueror. You can go back and look in blacks. Have you ever looked at Doomsday Book, at the definition of Doomsday Book, Mark? No, I haven't. Is that in, or is that in referenced blacks. in blacks? Yes, in blacks, okay. And it's spelled D-O-M-E, Doomsday, but we pronounce it Doomsday. You got a blacks right there? Yeah, give me a second here. Okay, why don't you whip that open and find it, Domesday Book, and I'll give the audience some background here. This is just a verification. Um, so what he did was when he took over England, he came in and took over all the possession of the lands. And then he started divvying it out to the nobles, okay? But as and a lot of this detail I get from Brent, because Brent's, Prince of National Treasure. Okay. So as they're going through and he lays this out, he's smart enough to know 
that he doesn't want all of them to have their land in one spot because then they're going to get all, all all pissed off at him and start having meetings to overthrow him. So he gives them some land up in the northeast part of the country, some in the southwest part of the country, some in the northeast, and some in the northwest, so that they're always traveling between their possessions and they don't have time to get together and over and revolt against him. Okay, wow. so it's really interesting. This this will buttress this out when you read this this definition. Okay, so okay. in that bringing over the European variety of feudalism to English soil, there was no involuntary servitude, was there? No. There's only two classes in the feudal system. You're an involuntary serf akin to a black slave, or you're a voluntary serf. Well, when they brought over the common law from Europe and containing feudalism, overlaid it over England, now there was no involuntary servitude. It was all voluntary. That's why it calls it the English common law rule. I do have that definition. Okay, read it for us. Now, let's start out a little bit. Uh, there's uh, dome, D-O-M-E, which you're, you're pronouncing as doom, and it's a Saxon word, and it references it uh, as doom, D-O-O-M, as in Mary. And it says, a sentence, a judgment, an oath, the homagers or homagers oath in the black book of Learford. And then when you look at Dome Book, or Doom Book, as we would pronounce it, a book or code said to have been compiled under the direction of Alfred for the general use of the whole kingdom of England. Alfred was the first king of England. It's supposed to be Alfred the Great, they call him. Okay, so go ahead. And so under the direction of Alfred for the general use of the whole kingdom of England containing, as is supposed, the principal maxims of the common law, the penalties for misdemeanors, and the forms of judicial proceedings. It is said to have been extant, or yeah, extant, E-X-T-A-N-T, so late as the reign of Edward IV, but is now lost. And then the next is uh, another doomsday, comma, doomsday book, as an ancient record made in the time of William the Conqueror. Here we go. And now and now remaining in the English Equizer. Exchequer. Exchequer. You know what the Exchequer is? No, I never heard of that. That's the English Treasury. Ah, okay. You know how they so, made, how they got that name? When the when the king's tax men used to go out in the countryside to collect his taxes, remember it's all got to be voluntary, right? Uh-huh. And they would take and find like a picnic table, and they'd throw a real big checkered tablecloth, red and white, over it. That's where they got the name of the exchequer. Ah, interesting. So remaining the remaining in the ex, I'm sorry, remaining in the English exchequer consisting of two volumes of unequal size containing minute and accurate surveys okay. of the lands on. in Hold England. Right, right there. Minute and accurate surveys. What is that? Those are surveying terms. Land, yeah. That's land. Okay. And then the work has begun, or the work was begun, by five justices in each county. 
and uh, 10, oh, uh, 1081, the year 1081, and was finished by 1086. And there you go. Now, it's also instructive, you know, in these titles over there, the old 13th Amendment titles of nobility, right? Mm-hmm. On the right. titles that they assign people, uh, what do you got? Uh, 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 Lord and 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 uh, you know, all, all the different Duchess titles, and dukes well, and all, all dukes, and you know all that stuff. Well, the way that they got those t- titles is how close to the king they controlled their land. Did you know that, Mark? If you got your land directly from the king, you're like a duke. Uh, uh, a prince, prince of Wales, all that stuff. And right. now, if the prince of Wales subletted you some land under this system, you owed him fealty, and you had another uh, title like duke. And if the duke subletted you some land, you might be an earl. So, depending uh-huh. on what your title was, everybody knew exactly at what extent you owned your land from the king. Well, and also what kind of power you wield over them. Exactly. And it was so set up in this system that as that went down and land went down and they started asking for the duties, you know, you got rights and duties, right? Well, what's the duties of you having this land? Well, you got to go produce and you're so far down the line, we're going to specialize. And the only thing we want you to produce is stirrups for saddles for the king's horses. Oh, we've got an American term for that. It's called the mafia. (laughs) But everybody had their assigned thing, and it all filtered up to the king. This is where your Knights of the Round Table came from. It was all the people that had direct land tutelage to the king, and they, in their agreement and their duty, was to provide so many knights in armor ready for battle so much of the year, and those are the Knights of the Round Table fascinating that's stuff that they never teach you in school boy no kidding yeah and we have an example we have an example of the 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 recent mafia enforcers uh, right at mark's place in oklahoma Sammy Destroy. Sammy Destroy. <laughs> <laughs> Better watch out for him. So anyway, that's why it must be. Uh-huh. That, that this is why it's only voluntary servitude they brought over. This is the English common law rule because England had a free soil doctrine. I didn't understand that until within the last couple of months. For you new people, this is why I tell you this is a process. I've been in it 30 years, and I never understood these nuances, okay? So we're, we're all learning, okay? But this is, this is where all this stuff comes from. And what Wong Kim Ark did was it took it from blacks and it enlarged the superstructure where they can get all of us. Well, that was under the the Act, right? The Civil Rights Act, right? Well, that was the Fourteenth Amendment, and of course, yeah, that, that's you know they couldn't see that at the time. They just knew they were deciding, and the, that anybody born the, the Wong Kim Ark, he was a Chinaman. His parents were foreigners, but he was born here. He was an anchor baby, wasn't he? Wong yeah. Kim Ark was an anchor baby. Okay, yeah. 
and and it, it references in that decision Chinese uh, Mexican peons and Mexican coolies and all these different other people in a condition of servitude or akin to it around the world and of course whites which they didn't include in that which is who, who they really want interesting history folks right here I was just thinking that'd be a great way to title a short little uh, podcast or video about Anchor Baby and Wong Kim Ark, and yeah. that would open up a big dialogue. Sure could, but it's interesting history, and uh, these are pivotal cases. I don't throw cases around here too much for you people. I know that confuses a lot of people. It goes over people's head. And they, I can't read this stuff, uh, but there are a couple of cases that are just absolutely, totally key. Elk v. Wilkins is one of them that uh, that we've discussed on here, which says the Indians are sovereigns, uh, the one that no patriot researcher I've ever heard came up with, Plessy v. Ferguson. Ferguson. Absolutely, it, it super important to understand the confirmation of the Jim Crow laws, and it was in 1894, just a couple of years before Wong Kim Ark. Uh, by the way, Fuller and Harlan were in on the descent on Plessy too, or at least Harlan. I, I don't, I'm not sure about Fuller, but Harlan was one of the big dissenters on Plessy. You know. Uh, Brown v. Board of Education. Those are, they're not too many of them, but they're not complicated. They're very interesting cases, actually. Uh, but anyway, that, that's what we're dealing with. And because England had the free soil doctrine, it can only be voluntary servitude. It's got to be voluntary. It's got to be. It's got to be. Otherwise, hey, we're all right? slaves. Yep, and they're t- and no, well, not only that, they're tyrants. More important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Paul. Well, they're pretty you? tyrannical. They're well, they pretty are, tyrannical, but they've had to go. They they are, and that are obviously that's their nature. Okay, but they can't do it openly. They've got to do it with this velvet glove and this treachery and deceit. Look at all the trouble they went through from starting the Civil War all the way up to 1954 with Brown v. Board to get you to answer those two questions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Without knowing what you were actually answering. Hey, can I make a couple of announcements real uh, quick? Sure. Thank you. Um, support the program. Go to ExposeTheMatrix.com. At the very bottom of the page, you'll find a Gibson Gold Link Radio Ranch forward slash Radio Ranch support. Uh, any contribution is appreciated. We've got equipment that we need to, that we need to acquire and configure and uh, lots of uh, expansion is in the works because when this thing blows up, it's going to blow up big and we've got to be ready for it. Uh, I mean, Paul, just think, did you just cut out there or did you stop? I stopped. Okay. Just think if next week we get a shot on Alex Jones to, 40 or 50 million listeners or more really what do you think it happened to our little board here um well jitsi will completely blow up <laughs> meltdown <I> mean, <laughs> yeah yeah there will be a nuclear meltdown on the jitsi on meet.jit.si 
So, <clears throat> and I have, I have conference rooms, um, lined up, but I don't have a way to connect that many systems. Right. So well, that's well, also the hardware. website, radio, also the website. Support. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine and we're also people hit your website at one time. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I, I would have to move that to a dedicated hosting account of its own. But, uh, I mean, there's, you know, people, they think, they thank me all the time for like what I do. I really don't do anything. I just take talents that I have and I put them in place in the, in the way that I, I feel that they would be useful. But there's other people in the group, uh, Mark. Um, researcher extraordinaire. I mean, his, his legal, his legal thoughts and, and dissertations are, are, they're absolutely off the hook. He's, he's our national treasure. And then we've got all the moderators. We've got Mirko. We've got Monique. We've got Lisa, who keeps a watchful eye over a free conference call. We've got Andy, who's, uh, who's there to let people in and to start the room in the morning, set up the passwords and everything. We have got so many people that, that are just my dream. extraordinary. My dream is coming into reality is that my thoughts on this from the beginning is we've got to build a team here, folks. You know, I mean, it's great. I, I could have gone along and been free and not told anybody and kept my mouth shut and gone on about my little life, but I'm not real secure in that position. I want other people that are free around me. We all protect each other. We've got to work as a team. Okay. Teams always accomplish more than individuals. Always, period, no exception. All right. Right. And I want and, us to be a team, and I want us to be a family team, all right? And right. and we're Wait. unstoppable, folks. This is unstoppable truth right here. Our enemies, it's the only thing. Have you ever seen anything that makes these bastards stand mute? I mean, I can think of one no. right now, the, the, Nord, the Nord Stream uh, pipe bombing, but at least some of them are getting up and denying it. They don't deny this. They stand mute. Yeah. Well, we've also got a couple of other people that, that I would like to mention. We've got people that are all over the chat and throwing, uh, they are just right there with links to, to, to back up the information that we're talking about. North me, she's amazing. Uh, Mirka, she does it. Uh, so does Mur. Yep. And we have, we have extraordinary people here, and I appreciate the heck out of every one of them. Boy, every and I one. do too, folks, because I listen. There's years ago I couldn't get anybody. They would, they'd listen to me enough to where they could start calling me ugly names. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Roger. If I could only be so lucky. I mean, I've been called every name under the sun, folks. Wow. And that's why we appreciate everybody's support, you know, and, and right now, it's kind of like putting your money where your mouth is. You know, if you're drawing benefits from this, uh, radio show and the website and, uh, the uh, telegram group that Merca admins and I just, she does an amazing job over there and it's a lot to keep on top of. Sure we got is. over 400 members 
that are asking questions and making comments. And so to, to administrate that is, is quite a task. And, uh, it's a commitment. If you're, if you're, it's a hell yeah, of a commitment. Okay. And Marka yes. follows through on it too. Yes, it is. Well, and she corrected me when I was first new because I made a little stumble and, and, I'm, I'm a person I can stand to be corrected. You know, if, if you can point me to the error of my ways, I'm going to investigate it. And if, if, if I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong and make my correction and keep on trucking. Yep. You know, that's what it's all about. Yep. But, uh, you know, if, if, if you're getting enjoyment from this and it's, and it's educating you and you're getting benefits, um, you know, please go, go to, uh, the matrix docs.com, go all the way to the bottom of the page and there's a link for the, um, give, send, go and, and give us, you know, shoot us $5, $10, uh, $20, anything that you can afford. And it'd be greatly appreciated. I mean, you know, and because of Paul English, not Paul Beaner, Paul English, who many of you never heard his name. You hadn't heard him yet. He hadn't been on the show with us for a while. I hope he comes back and visits us. He's a fabulous guy. Paul's talked with Paul. He told me the other day he'd spoken with you, Paul, and he really enjoyed speaking with you, and he thought you two clicked real well. And he's very, very grateful you're over here, okay, because all this stuff, when there was problems, was getting thrown at him, and he's got – a whole a whole table of plates spinning on sticks okay anyway yeah. it was paul hey roger yes oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say I'll it was paul that years ago got into a home foreclosure situation and he said every step of the way i kept running into the same characters you know the ones we're talking about okay and that's what got him thinking along this and somebody that he worked with that gave him some information and he had a burning desire to do something okay I want to contribute. I want to do something. And so he spent a year and a half. He's technically oriented like Paul. He spent a year and a half researching free uh, freeware downloads and having to go in and read all these technical manuals so we can set this up like this where we don't have to to play commercials to have commercial sponsors and we can literally do this on a shoestring from the standpoint of putting the information on the air no commercial interruptions and nobody screws with us and that's the basis of all this that's why i don't have to charge you guys partially i don't have to sell your ears from you coming to want the information and i got to take advertisers and sell your ears so that we can keep the whole thing afloat we don't have any of that right um okay there is also if if somebody has a problem with uh, using give send go and i completely understand because i just heard of somebody that gave 35 dollars and they actually took 41 off his card what that's, that's ludicrous that's ridiculous no 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 so uh, if you go if you go to funding dot expose the matrix dot com funding.exposethematrix.com you will get all the information you need paypal link cash app link uh gives in gold link my home address my phone number my email 
any way you want to contribute, we've made it easy. Okay. So go to funding. Well, it, it's all the it's all in our own best interest because we're going to hit one of these big platforms, folks. People are hungry for this information. We just hadn't got a bunch of you've come, you've heard links, you've heard a video or something, and you want to be here. But at some point, when we hit one of these next big platforms, folks, it's just gonna the fur's going to start flying. Okay. We'll get to you in a second, Mirka. One second, Mirka. One more point. One more point, because because this is starting to turn into an infomercial. Um, There's a couple of (laughs) other things that we're working on. We're also working on a website, ritsoup.com, where uh, we hope there will be. (laughs) Yeah, we hope there will be a collect a collection of. Uh, legal references where people can, you know, ask questions and, you know, exchange ideas. Validate and validate to their heart's content, you know, for your new folks. I've been on the air for 12 years with this information. All I do is give facts. Okay. I help you Mm -hmm. connect the dots because you don't know the underneath. Uh, uh, underlying things at some point, but I always try and turn you on to the underlying things too. You can go look them up, the meaning of person, go back and look up Gaius, you know, all that kind of stuff. But nobody's ever disproved one of my facts in 12 years, to my knowledge. Never, right. not one. And along with the other research things that we've got going on, we'll, we'll throw book references and court sites and things like that out. Well, another thing that we're working on is a private library, an offline library that um, with uh, print and electronic media where some of these classic publications like Mel Stamper's book and John Benson's books uh, will be available because we have spent (laughs) a few of us have spent quite a bit just to get those classic books and are working on getting them scanned. Right. So, yeah, we should be, uh, hopefully I know Deborah's making some progress out there. She's doing this totally voluntarily with all her publishing 20 years of publishing in New York expertise. And she's the one that's working on the first book that John and Glenn ever wrote that we're about to republish here somewhere in the near future, uh, called United Slaves of America. And it's got a bunch of this feudalism and old English law and stuff, it concentrates and its end is totally in the tax system, but that's going to be available for a bunch of folks too here shortly, hopefully. But we've also got John Benson's first book. Well, his uh, tax book, um, the which is for the people, and you, we mentioned the exchequer earlier, okay? And here's a story. You want me to tell the story on that? Well, what, what was the title of that book? Taxation without representation, the truth about... No, that's not the one. That's not the one. We Or maybe we got Mel Stamper's first book. Mel Stamper's first book, okay? That was the one we... I didn't even know he had a first book. I know about John's, okay? And... Yeah, we, uh, we're working on Mel Stamper's first book. Okay. We're working on on scanning. For in, any of you that are just absolutely eat up with curiosity, wanting to know about the tax system, 
Uh, maybe, you know, we're in the spring of the year. We're in tax season right now. Maybe one of these Saturdays I'll do that whole background on the tax system, where it is, where it came from, how it developed, where the links are, uh, how they moved it over to our country, what they changed, uh, so that it's the same one. It's just uh, the, oh, some of the key points have been changed to protect the guilty. Uh, but that's a, that's a very interesting background. That's what John and Glenn put in John's tax book. Um, and uh, it's the first time that information's been in print in over 250 years. We're, we're talking about history that's been buried and swept under the rug, Ooh, and we're yeah. digging it out. So what happened here? Y'all want me to tell that story? Mirka, you've been trying to say something. Let's get you first here. There's a new student. I think she already jumped on. Her name's Monica. All right. Um, Welcome, in, Monica. Th- yeah. Bienvenidos. Um, does Monica have a question or a comment? If not, I'll relaunch in and give you some background on John's book if you want it. I hope so, but I'm not sure. Well, um, let me let me just on. okay. Well, she probably doesn't want to, and I can hey, understand. Roger. That. Yes, Mike. This is Mike. I got some uh, more information and research. Uh, guess where the National Firearms Act falls under? What it falls Anybody under? I want to take a guess. You, 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 what does the National Firearms Act fall under? Was that your question? Yes, I, I did the Emer- research. And emergency, I found out. emergency, the Trading with the Enemies Act. No, the IRS tax code of nineteen thirty four. It's it's in the twenty uh, twenty six CFR. Okay. So anybody that need get a tax stamp, you're exempt from it. Okay. I, I had to do the research. All right. Well, we're glad you did, Mike. You're the firearms guy around here. Um. So, does anybody else have a question or comment on what we've covered so far to this point today? It's extremely interesting history. I mean, you know, when I was reading years ago when Brent and I were first getting on, I was trying to introduce him to all this stuff, and we read that excerpt out of that Wong Kim Ark I paraphrased there a minute ago. And when it came down to the English common law rule, Brent objected, and he just didn't understand uh, at that point, and he was Brent was very resistant to this, folks. I mean, it took us over five years to drag him across the line. And I mean, there were shows when the late Chris Cave, who Mark, you fill his void, okay? The late Chris Cave, who we all miss dearly, uh, Daryl, and myself, and we we'd gang up on Brent on the air, okay. And, and Brent's got this, no, I was born with God-given right. Well, yeah, you were, but no, you weren't, you know. And uh, it took us a long time to drag him over. And and uh, so uh, as I remember that phrase, the common law rule, and, and it came up in that discussion. And only years later do we find out that, A, William the Conqueror brought over the European variety of common law, which included the true feudalism model. But when it hit England, because of this free soil doctrine, there was no involuntary servitude. So everybody had to be voluntary serfs. I mean, it's taken years to get that one little point that's so important. Okay? 
So anyway, a lot of people put a lot of sacrifice into what if you're new Monica here today, what you're getting. There's over a hundred years of research in three men's lives here. What you get the synopsis, okay? So what happened with John was he uh, John was always interested in the law. And uh, he got a job with civil service in contract law, Mark. And so he became particularly interested in contract law. And on top of that, he became particularly fascinated and intrigued with tax law. So that's the origin of where we are today. Okay. And so as he was going forward and researching all that, he ran across a case Mark, I'll see if you you may have heard us mention this before. Murray's okay. Lessee versus Hoboken Land and Improvement Company. No, I haven't heard of that one. Okay, we well, may want to go look it up. Okay, Murray's. <laughs> Can you repeat, repeat? Hold on, just a second. Repeat. Uh, Murray's Murray's Lessee versus Hoboken. Well, it's a it's Less- a heck of a style. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Murray's Lessee. Okay. Versus Hoboken Land and Improvement Company. Land and Improvement Company. It'll pop up. It'll pop up. It's current. It was an 1855 case. Okay. Okay. And the setup of the case was that a legitimate, back then we had legitimate taxation in post-excise. Okay. And it was the head tax guy for New York City had embezzled in those days millions of dollars, okay? And he had bought land in Jersey and it sold it to Hoboken Land and Improvement and he died, okay? And so that's the origin of the case is, you heard that Mark will know this, a jeopardy assessment, okay? Most of you don't know what a jeopardy assessment is. Mark, you do, don't you? Um. Not, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar, I'm familiar okay. with assessments. No, okay. This but is I've never, I don't think I've heard of Jeopardy okay, assessment. Okay, this is a special, special category, and this is when they think you might leave the country and take the goods, and so they come in and seize it and then settle it out later. Ah, okay. Okay, a Jeopardy assessment. So they pulled the Jeopardy assessment on this land that he had sold to Hoboken Land and Improvement Company. All right. And in the case, the justices say, well, you know, we don't have anything in the Constitution that deals with tax law, particularly, especially jeopardy assessments, okay? So what we have to do is return to the law from whence we came and refer back to the tax laws of England, okay? So, and that case is recently cited in the last 15 years by IRS, Mark, okay? So it's still good law, all right? So at the bottom of that, they start talking about some of the experts that wrote on the exchequer. Uh, There were several authors. Price, the two I remember are Price and Chitty, C-H-I-T-T-Y. And so, but all of those are listed in the footnotes on the case. So John and Glenn, back then we didn't have internet, John and Glenn went to the best resource they had, which is the interlibrary connect system, 
where you can go to an interlibrary and put in a book, and if it's in the system anywhere, it'll pop up and they can get it to you, right? So right. they they went and put those authors in the interlibrary search system, and they could only find two books in the entire United States. Wow. How do you expect tax attorneys, judges, tax preparers, or anything else to understand the system when there's only two books on it in the entire country? One at the Library of Congress, the other at Texas A&M, interestingly enough. Okay, And so uh, they went then trying to acquire those books and get this process and find the other ones well as the internet came online they were able to access them more etc etc but it was those books that they went and read and then the feds start coming after them when they sent them to federal prison okay so here they are fighting these cases and all this appeals back to the 10th circuit and back and forth well they didn't have time to talk and read and skull out the information that was in the books they could acquire on the process from the exchequer okay this you talk about god working in this thing okay so many instances this is one of them so the feds convict them they send john to the only unair condition one of if not the only air conditioned federal facility in the country at 85 years old in poor health uh, and that was in Petersburg, Virginia. All right. And they sent Glenn to a low security, uh, uh, facility up in Northern Minnesota. So Glenn is a very spiritual guy and, uh, he wanted to join this program that the Bureau of Prisons had for ministerial, some sort of a ministerial program. Okay. And so he applied and here's the, you know, the old, remember the old fat fickle finger of fate, right? Yes. This is the, this is the fickle finger of fate here. They transferred Glenn, one of the facilities in the country, not the only one, one of the facilities that taught this ministerial thing was in Petersburg, Virginia. And that's where they sent him. So whoever the fat-fingered bureaucrat was internally punched the button and sends Glenn to get reunited with John. And in that facility, they could spend four hours or more an afternoon together. And so John was in a wheelchair at that point, and Glenn would wheel him out. They had a soccer field or somewhere where guys could exercise and play sports or whatever. And there was a big tree over there, and he said every day they'd go out under the tree and sit there and talk this stuff for four hours. And now they can go back and put together the whole process from the exchequer that they read about in these books. And that is John's tax book. Is called Taxation by Misrepresentation, The Truth About Taxes in Plain English. And it, 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 it it's not a sit down by the fire for a nice read book, okay? It, it's quite complex. You get a lot of terms, throw out like Sierra Focus and all these different terms for the actions that they used in those days in the Exchequer, okay? So uh, anyway, that's where that book came from. That's the background behind it. It's a very important book. 
I'll reiterate, it's the first time that information's been in print in over 250 years. Hey, Roger, I think Monica's ready to jump on. Hey, Monica, jump on, girl. Monica. Well, Monica, when you're ready to jump, let us know. Just say, hey, Roger. Um, so, uh, does anybody have any comments or questions on that? We'll go over if y'all want to, now that we're here in tax season, we'll go over the whole, the tax system that we're under today. But Mark, have you, you, you hadn't heard this information before. It sounds like to me, right? No, I haven't. This is, this is pretty fascinating. Of course, one of my mentors, Pat Patton, when he got to the assessment was the only legitimate way that they can impose a tax on you. You know, it was a it was a game changer, and you know the IRS had to fight that every which way and confuse everybody on it. But you know, uh, this being a national just takes you out of all that all of that it. headache, all of it. Okay, and so the assessment they have to put it on the assessment rolls so they can go to collection. If you haven't filed a ten forty form, this is push code oh nine. Push code Roger, 09 she- allows them to stop the computer when there's not a 1040 statute staple filed and insert what we call in the in the movement a dummy return. In the regulations, it's called an SFR, a substitute for return. So they have exactly. to stop the computer process. Push code 09 is the op- operation. Then they insert a 1040 form that they wrote up with whatever numbers they want to put on there and now there it goes on. There's a 1040 filed. They can put it on the assessment rolls. You're cooked. And behind that, they have to misclassify your source of income. That, so you know, that. About that as well. Somebody's trying to get in. Who's? I think it's Abram. Right, this is Abram. Yep. Uh, you know, for that, that's a pretty complicated statement. Uh, basically, what Roger's saying is, for people who don't file their tax returns. They have a process where they'll go and put in a fake pe- uh, tax return under your name, and they'll use that against you. And whatever they put into that, that's presumed to be what you owe. Well, and there so it is. It's not a fake. Here, here's the presumption: it's not a fake. It's a real 1040 that they. But you it's don't. Yeah, but well, you don't sign it. You don't sign right. the statute staple. Yes. They do. Yes. Right. It has nothing to really do with you. They just artificially create it and assign it to you. And see, there's the. This tells you right there that it's a damn voluntary procedure. And well, you know, there's lots the comment- of. There's hold on just a second. There's lots of people who have tax withheld out of their checks, and they never file a 1040. So what's happening behind the scenes is more than likely they're having substitute returns filed for them by internally by the irs and as long as their the withholdings covers what they would have been taxed nobody says a word that's right okay and this is where glenn when they took all this information that's in that book and all the understanding and what happened mark here i was doing shows with al adisk back then and adisk knew this guy named mark ellis who had gotten all of those internal IRS 
booklets and codes and all that crap, man, there's just stacks of them you can get into. Manuals is the word I'm looking for. And he understood the process internally, but he didn't understand the overall process. Glenn understood the overall process like the back of his hand, but didn't have that internal key code information. And because of Al Adisk, those two guys got put together. Okay. Wow. So now they yeah. find a client. The client was a medical doctor out in San Diego who had two failure to file charges on him. And they found a law firm that would allow Glenn to write all the process and they'd represent the doctor. Okay. So Glenn wrote all of this stuff. He, folks, he's a genius. Okay. And so in the district court trial where he was guilty, um, the government would not come off of tax code 09. They knew because of Michael Ellis' research what it was. Now, because of Glenn's knowledge of the system, understanding what they had to do to overcome it. And so he told me, he said, Roger, they would not. You get, now, when you get in a court case like that, you got discovery and interrogatories. Okay. The government would not come off push code 09, no matter what was said or what was done. They found the doctor guilty. They appealed it to the Ninth Circuit. And the same thing. Okay. And Glenn got so disgusted when he threw up his arms and walked away from all this and threw it all in my lap. Okay. Willingly. I was, I was a willing recipient of it. But that, after that case, the Department of Justice put out a national moratorium for the judiciary. You cannot go into any district court in the federal system and even bring up push code 09. Well, what does that tell you if the Department of Justice issues that uh, edict to the judiciary system? Yeah, well, it tells you you're in tyranny. Okay. Yeah, you've got you've got you've got an administration who is telling the judiciary who are supposed to be separate in power how to operate. So, Mark, when do you think the tax system started? But uh, in the form we know it today, I should qualify that question. Well, I you know I don't have hard evidence, but my understanding is it was the first world first war world. World, ugh, world War, I'll spit it out. So the first World War was when they started initiating an income tax as we know it. How about 1285? Oh, my goodness. That's where all this started is 1285, and it started because we lied. Us lying has brought this on us. They lied. Wow, so- I, I- I didn't lie. You didn't lie. Pardon me? Tell us more. Well, uh, someone else lied. It wasn't Roger and it wasn't Mark. Right. Well, y'all you know? want it. All right. Well, we'll just get in. Well, we'll just get into this. We got an hour left. I can go over it in an hour pretty much, I think. Okay. 1285 with a statute in England, Mark, called the Statute de Mercantoribus. 1285. There was a female queen. You know, England, when they cite a law, they cite the whoever the monarch was and what year of their reign the legislation was passed in. 
Okay. Okay. So anyway, it was 1285, and the legislation was called Statute de Mercantoribus. And it, England had a big problem. This statute was passed to overcome it, and it did. Okay. And the problem was England's an island. They do real well with oats. They do real well with wool. They do pretty good with tin. But there's a whole bunch of things they don't do well with that they need. So trade is a necessity for the English Isles. They've got to get rid of their abundance and get the scarcities that they need. Okay? Spices, whatever. All right. So now we go back to trade. Who are the main traders? Well, the merchants of the earth. Right, Mark? And so as they would come to England in their little – and a lot of the traders, the the basic concept is to do triangle trade. You know, triangle trade. They'd take, they'd take rum, uh, <coughs> rum from Jamaica, go up and sell it in New England, take the cash, go over and get black slaves in Africa, come back and sell them to Jamaica and get rum and do the same thing over again. Okay. So. Something about speed. Hello. No, sorry, Roger. Okay. Um, my is that Mina? Is that talking Lina? in the background. Is that Mina? Well, that's okay. Um, yeah, Mika. Mika. Um, me. Yeah. Um, so Monica was trying to unmute. She's trying to figure out free conference call. So right. she's working on that. Right. And then well, there's another person. All right. Well, I'm, um, I'm about to launch well, into this whole story on the background of taxes. So okay, I'll, I'll tell you after. All right, so you guys just hold on and absorb this because there's two people because nobody knows this stuff, folks. My teachers were the experts in the world on the tax system. Okay, so the traders that were coming to Europe, they got cheated by the by the English, and then because they're in common law, Mark. They go into a common law venue, and they get their buddies to come up and lie, and the traders who got gypped out of their profits get cheated. That's where the tax system came from, our sin. Okay, And so then, because they got cheated and they couldn't go to any court system to get any kind of remedy, they said, well, hell, we just ain't going to trade with them anymore. So now England's got a real problem. The traders won't come to the country to exchange stuff because people are lying in common law venues against them. Okay? That's the statute de mercantoribus. That's the situation that it was passed to relieve. Bring the traders back. And so in the statute de mercantoribus, they went down and they assigned ports as staple cities. Staples, things that are necessities. Staple cities. And they made, well, you can imagine which ones. Liverpool, Southampton, London, whatever some of the other major ports are. Those were assigned as staple cities. Okay, And the mayor of the city was named the mayor of the staple. And so if there was ever a trader that came and there was a dispute on whatever, they would take it to the mayor of the city and he would put it under seal and at that point the debtor became property and anything that came into the debtor's hands could be seized rents 
profits, sale of land, inheritance, anything that came into the debtor's hands could be seized and was to pay off and satisfy the debt. And when the debt was satisfied, the statute staple was lifted. That is called a statute staple bond or contract. Mark, have you ever heard of a statute staple before? No, I have not. Oh, yes, you have. I have? Statute staple. It's called a 1040 form. (laughs) Okay. 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 And see, that's what the 1040 form is. It's originally called a Jewish shetar. S-H-E-T-A-R. And I remember when in, in those classes with John, and he, he quoted some English jurist commenting on this, and he said, this goes back to time out of mind. This system, this tax system, this Jewish shetar, goes back to time out of mind. Babylonian merchant code come to mind, maybe, possibly? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, that is key. The statute staple is a 1040 form. It's also called a Jewish shetar. If you want some really, really solid background on this, I mean solid, go over to SovereignToSurf.com, one of the earlier websites, SovereignToSurf.com, There's a a picture of me standing there at the middle of the world here in Ecuador, which is the only place on land on the face of the earth where your GPS reads all zeros. And uh, over to the right of that picture, there's a number of resources. Uh, One of them, uh, Historical Jurisprudence, a 100-year-old book published by John Hopkins. The very first 90 pages of that. On the book on historical jurisprudence, the very first 90 pages is all on the Babylonian Merchant Code. I suggest as you're learning these concepts, you expose yourself to that. It's only 90 pages. It's not a difficult read. It's the whole basis of the merchant law, where it came from, how it was utilized, all that kind of stuff. Okay, valuable resource. Hold on. The other one that I was directly more, that one just came to mind. It's important. The other one over there is a very scholarly article that was published in the Georgetown Law Review back in the 70s, Mark, by a Jewess named Judith Shapiro. And the title of it, best I can remember, is How the Jewish Shetar Invaded the English Common Law. That's all this information. Very detailed. There was a book on that? No, it's an article in the Georgetown Law Review from the 70s. Oh, I'd like to read that. Well, it's over there on the website. You can go read it. It's got a lot more history than I'm giving you here. Okay. However... The good Jewess Shapiro somehow, with all of her detail, neglects to tell you that a Jewish Shetar is a 1040 form. Wow. Okay. So that's all over there. Now, who had something to add there? Roger. um, Monica, I I don't know if she's ready, but I wanted to say that what she was studying with um, before she found us, 
she was learning a little bit with um, some material from David Strait and American something. American, the group American something. I'll look it up okay. right now. But right. yeah, she's waiting. And then there's another student, John Johnny C. Okay, well, okay. that's called Americans in Action. Okay, right, uh, that one. Okay, great. Well, there you know, unlearn most of the stuff you learned those places, and we'll give you correct information. Okay. So some guy was trying okay. to make a comment there a second ago. That was who, me. Who was who was you? That was me. This is Paul. Um, I had brought to my attention some people couldn't hear other people, and I sorted out the problem so everybody that's been trying to get in should now be able to. Okay. So let's go. Pardon me? Okay. Let's go back to our little story here. All right. So that was the origin of the Jewish Shetar invading the English common law. And it worked flawlessly. Totally straightened out all the trading problems they'd have. And notice, I said, when the mayor, the mayor of the staple, put this under seal, under penalty of perjury, under seal, it made the debtor property. That's why they could go grab anything that came into his hands to satisfy the debt. Okay, Shetar. Mark, is it a stretch yes. to take Shetar over to the term Star Chamber? I don't think it'd be a stretch at all. Well, it's not, because remember, the king actually owned the Jews. The Jews had been kicked out of England because of usury, and they got back in. And to get back in, the king made them his property. I had a book on it at one point called The King's Jews. Made them their property because of their usury. Now he could sick them on the people as the tax collectors. Wow. And everybody hated the Jews anyway, right? So, uh, and he would come back and demand whatever percentage that he needed of what they collected for the year. So this is where they'd go out and bring in this Jewish shetar. And if you go back and read about the star chambers, they, you know, if you hadn't paid your taxes, they bring you into the star chamber, the notorious star chamber, right, Mark? And they had yes. a they had a, 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 a what do you call it a, a thing over in the corner where you lift the lid a chest, and in the chest was the shetars, and they'd bring out the shetar and start putting you on the torture machines. Nice. Wow. Okay. Hey, Mark, I just sent the, I found a PDF of that article and sent it to you. Okay, how'd you send it to me? Mara? In the email. Okay, thank you. You might want to stick it and post it, Mur, uh, uh, Mur, because I'm sure other folks will want to read this. It's a oh, very yeah, it's in the chat. It's, it's hey, in listen, the chat. you don't get you don't get bullshit published in the Georgetown Law Review, folks. Okay, <laughs> all right. It's in the chat and in the Roger Sales chat. And so, what? Uh, uh, this is the origin. This is the background on all this stuff. All right. And so now 
they find out that this little method straightens out the problems they'd had in the staple cities, the trade cities. And so we go a little further along, a couple hundred years in uh, English history, and they had a pretty notorious king over there called Henry VIII. Remember him? Okay. So Henry VIII had a big problem with the nobles, and he had a big problem with the Pope, and he had a big problem with uh, uh, with the sultans over there in Constantinople because he was always trying to get money, and he marries these women. He can't produce a male heir, so he wants to get divorced, and he goes to the Pope, and the Pope won't give him a divorce. And so... Uh, this is where the this is where the silence deems consent comes from. Do you, do you know this, Mark? This is really interesting stuff to me. Okay, so in that takeover of moving with his his divorce from the Pope and Catholicism, and he's moving England over to Protestantism because he couldn't get a divorce, so he could get a male heir. Okay. And so he brings all the bishops in the country, because there was still Catholic structure over there, he brings them all out to this place outside of London, and he basically tells them, you're going to follow my laws or you're going to lose your head. Does anybody have anything to say? No. Silence deems consent. That's what he told them. Wow. Wow. Okay, so what King Henry VIII did, because he's having all these problems with all these potentates all over the place trying to get money, so he goes back and says, you know what I'm going to do? That statute staple system has worked so well, I'm going to incorporate it into the exchequer and use it as a way for me to collect taxes. So this is wow. when the overall statute de mercantoribus was moved down to the entire population. All right. So here's the process. I told you earlier, you understand exchequer. Uh, exchequer is English treasury. Okay. And the way they got their name was when they'd go out in the countryside to collect everybody's voluntary taxes, they'd get a table and they'd put up a table and they'd put a big checkered red and white checkered tablecloth on it. So everybody knew it was the tax people and that's where the name exchequer came from. All right. <coughs> so let's say you're going out and you're checking with your voluntary stuff and old Mark and his straw man have got a pretty big manor over there you know and mark hadn't been volunteering over at the checkered table and telling them how much he's going to pay them so now they start asking questions they go to your neighbors mark how how mark and the straw man live in that high on the hog over there they don't have any visible means of support okay and you see the irs coming in here now where they can go to your neighbors and stuff okay and so at that point, what they would do is they would come back together and go back to the exchequer, and they had two offices, and the uh, one was where they did all the assessments and everything, and it was the upper-level office. And it was connected to the lower-level office, which was called the Office of the Pipe, Pipe, P-I-P-E. And the reason for that is because they had a pipe. You know, like when you go to a, a bank, you got that numismatic tube. You know, you're like 50 yards away from the teller, and you put it in there, and <laughs> goes and sucks it up over there, and she sends it back. 
Well, this is kind of the early, early example of that. They used gravity instead of numismatic stuff, and they'd roll up when they had an assessment, they'd put it on some sort of parched skin, and they'd kind of roll it up into a roll, and they'd shove it down that pipe, and that was the assessment office where the assessment rolls were. Okay, so they'd get the assessment from the guys that would put, oh, my, we're going to have to go figure out what we think Mark owes. Let's say Mark didn't voluntarily come up and belly up to the bar here. So we're going to go out and see if we can figure out what he owes, and we're going to put it on this parchment, and we're going to throw it down that pipe, and they're going to put it on the assessment rolls, right? So kind of like the IRS process, right, Mark? Exactly. Okay, exactly for a reason, okay? So here's the difference. Then, if Mark wanted to challenge the assessment, you got to go in front of a common law jury of your peers. Not tax court, a common law court. Very interesting. Okay. So that's one of the big changes they made in the process. Okay. And so... It worked like a snap for King Henry VIII, too. And that's the system they brought over to the U.S., changing some of these things like, oh, you don't get to go to a common law venue. You get to go to tax court. Any of you, 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 you worked with anybody gone to tax court, Mark? Yes, I have. Fun. Fun stuff, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> It's it's uh, it's just a railroad. It's a kangaroo court deluxe. Okay, for the and, first thing, and let's... all they all they will talk about, and if you go to tax court, all they will talk about is the amount correct. It's not whether you owe right. a tax or not. It's right. assumed that you owe the tax. Yep. You know, or you wouldn't be there. Now the other thing. What's the other real big important difference there? Is in tax court. Tax court precedes what's called, in, if I remember right, in the vernacular, a ninety-day letter, right? Um, you, you said precedes. Well, yeah, you the, you can't go to tax court before you get a ninety-day letter. Oh, that's correct. The, okay. Yeah, there's a whole due process thing that you got to go through. I should say administrative. There's an administrative process that you have to go through before you ever make it to tax court. Right. Now, for all you people, you David Strait refugees and stuff that have been taught this is admiralty law, admiralty law has no process. I kick your ass. I take your stuff. This is all heavily processed. So right there on its face, it can't be admiralty law. Okay. So here's the process. You get go through a series of letters. Let's say that you, uh, let's say Mark, Roger, my, you, my straw man's just shaking he's, in the he's corner when he heard he's, you say that. He's quivering over there, isn't he? Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's say that you don't file. Straw man doesn't file. So straw man gets a, a couple of letters from these wonderful people that I refer to as the individuals representing Satan. And so you start getting you start getting these little letters and they go, oh, hey, straw man, we haven't received your tax returns from 2019 and 2020. If you've already filed these, please just regard this notice. If you haven't, we may ask you to come in and bring your books and records. Seen a few of those, Mark? Oh, yeah, we've seen those. Okay. Do you know what that is? Mm. It ain't just a friendly reminder. 
No, no, it's 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 part of their process. It sure is. It's a notice. It's a notice. And the books and records sound like I'm going to the checkered uh, table. Well, we'd have a bunch of table. we'd have a bunch of patriots that bring a wheelbarrow in with books and phonograph records to those meetings. So that's true. I've heard of that. But but what I've I'd heard, like for you to do, what I'd like for you to do, Mark, is go over and look in your little handy dandy search engine a term called confirmatory writing. Confirmatory writing. writing. It's a specialty contract in the Uniform Commercial Code over there in the same section with the uh, 1040 form, uh, Jewish Shetar, okay? and well, that's uh, interesting. And so what they do, now here's where you got to understand the IRS is a voluntary system. This is how they're locking you into a contract on the front end, Okay. Underneath that letter is a commercial. This is what John always thought, and I've never seen anything he thought be wrong, okay? Um, this uh, confirmatory writing is a writing between merchants where the merchant is advised or, or, or considered to know the content of the writing, and if you don't expressly disallow the contract within 10 days... It's considered accepted. Now, one thing it refers to it as is a confirmatory memo. There is an exception to the writing requirement under the UCC known as the merchant's confirmatory memo. This requires, one, that both parties be merchants. Two, there to be a writing that accurately reflects the agreement between the parties. And three, and that's an and, three, requires that the writer sign the memo. Now, that's... A little probably precursor to what you're referring to. It is. Do you remember years ago back? I think I vaguely remember this when I was a kid because I think after this really came into effect that it was being abused and they stopped it. Okay. And you get a letter in the mail. Oh, would you like a pink uh, oop de oop? You know, and you go, hell, I don't need a damn pink oop-de-oop. And you throw that thing in the trash can. And about two weeks later, a pink oop-de-oop comes in the mail. Yep. You remember those sort sorts of incidents? I I do and and actually uh, my research won a big arbitration case over that in okay. Kansas. All right. Well, that's a confirmatory writing, okay? And so okay. they take at the front end of a voluntary system, send you that there's a series of four of those letters by the way. They send you one the first one. What do our well, I mean, come on. What are most of our Well, hell, they say it's voluntary. It's voluntary compliance. I'm throwing this in the trash can, don't they? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. What happens if they rebut it? Like well, hey, oh, well, hey, all right. Well, John, uh, John told us about one of his friends that did that. And they'd send him one. He'd stamp it and send it back to him. They'd send him another one. He'd do the same thing. And pretty soon they just moved on and rolled over him. Okay. But technically, that's what we think. And it probably proves out. It's a confirmatory writing. So our people throw it in the trash can. And now they've got you in a contract on the front end where you didn't file of a voluntary system, don't they? Yeah. So now they move on. They get to the point where the computer in Martinsburg is programmed correctly. Okay. It knows there has to be a statute staple 1040 filed for that thing to work. So at some point, the computer has to be stopped with push code 09 
and a substitute for return inserted by the agent. Now the computer recognizes a 1040 is filed. Now they go on to assessment and collection. Oh, this is pretty fascinating. I did that little research on the confirmatory writing while you're talking and found well, the document have three from. Students waiting. Well, they're going right. to have to wait I, I for a little bit. This is, no, we're, we're going to cover this. Okay. okay, go ahead. Okay. What was interesting was that that confirmatory writing or memo that we're referencing, there was a case with uh, Purdue Farms on uh, confirming uh, the purchase of 1,500 boxes of roaster qualified as a – roasters or chickens – qualified as a confirmatory writing, and it says, merely takes away the receiving merchant's right to assert statute of frauds as a defense. So – so if you get one of these confirmatory writings, you can't um, bring up fraud. You can't bring up fraud. Yeah. And and you're using that in the tax system. That's fascinating. Okay. All these little nuances and where does it all go back to? Commercial law. Yeah. Who are the Bible mentions constantly and consistently the merchants of the earth, right? Yes. Right. What law do you think the merchants of the earth use? It's not Admiralty? No, shivy me timbers. Uh, it's not maritime? <laughs> no. Must be merchant law, UCC. I mean, come Arr. on, folks. And, you, and you're listening to these other people. They don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Roger, can I ask a quick question for clarity? Yes. Jay, um, I just, I understand everything you're saying. Sorry if this is too basic, but the point at which you were saying when the when the uh, Jewish merchants were getting, um, you said they had passed a law that was sort of screwing them over. And then no, 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 just, no, 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 no. They passed the law to unscrew them over. They were getting screwed over in common law courts with Anglo-Saxons lying for their buddies. Okay, so that's the part I missed. What what were they doing that was cheating them? Well, they got they. If you had a trade with some guy, and go, no, I didn't make that agreement. I said something else, and the merchant said, no, you said this. I'm taking you to court, and they go to a common law court, and you, the guy that lied about it, get your buddy to come in and lie about it, and they rule against the merchant. So then the merchants uh, threatened to stop trading. No, they didn't threaten. They stopped coming. I see. So the kings then passed this law to protect them? To get to get the traders back to England. So if there was a dispute now after the statute de Mercantoribus, it only depended on certain cities, the ones that centered around trade, Liverpool, Manchester, Southampton, London. And that mayor of that city had total control over this and so the merchant would bring the complaint to the mayor the mayor would put it under seal in other words put it under one of these jewish shetars okay where the debtor became property and anything that came into his hands could be grabbed and to satisfy the debt does that sound like lean levy garnishment and seizure to you gotcha i see now Thank you, Roger. That was good. Okay. So uh, that's the system that they brought over, and that's how it works. Okay.
look, nobody knows this stuff, folks. You're saying that that's the structure that happened there is the same structure that they are basically having, the IRS has. All they did was take that English Shetar system that was incorporated in the Exchequer since Henry VIII up until the turn of last century, and they brought it over to the U.S., changed a couple of these little things so that they could get what they want and put the screws to you, and that's the tax system we're under today, folks. In a sentence or two, how would you describe what that what that is? It's basically you. We control everything you have until we take what we want. Basically, but you see, the whole thing is: you go, let's go back. All right, now let's take it forward to modern twenty six CFR one point one one a. That's the jurisdictional statement of the IRS in the Code of Federal Regulations, and it reads. An income tax is owed by all individuals who are citizens of the United States or residents and to the extent of 871B and 877B, all non-resident alien individuals. Well, there's your two differences. There's only two statuses. You're either a free or you're a slave. We know who the slaves are. They're citizens of the United States or residents. Non-resident aliens got to be the free person just by simple deduction. There are no other options. So, so Roger, in this situation, the creditor is the free person and the debtor would be the slave. Exactly. Well, isn't, it, isn't that always the way it is? <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense. It's, just, it's very interesting. Um, a friend of mine, he had gotten a uh, letter from a debt collector, right? It was an IRS debt, and it got sent to collections, and they they called the IRS the creditor, and he thought that was hilarious because he's like, what credit did they issue to me? The credit that you owed them when they went through this fraudulent presumption process and nailed you with a debt. And now Even if one, they used a substitute for a return to correct, create that debt. Doesn't make any difference. The whole damn thing's fraud anyway. What's another little slice thrown in? I can't remember where I heard that this from, but it was a judge who said, and it was a female judge, if these people would know that they are the creditor when they walk into court. Well we don't know we're creditors. Okay, that goes into redemption and all that stuff. We don't really cover that here. Okay. Roger, so for us, um, we are held into into the status by agreeing that we're residents and citizens. But what was it that made those original guys um, fall into this? Was it whenever they did? It was whenever, no, it was whenever somebody took a dispute to the mayor of the statute city, statute staple, and he put one of these 1040 forms and put the debtor and the creditor, the debtor under that form. That's why the key part to understand that is that they could take any income that came into his hands to satisfy the debt from whatever source. Hmm. That's a lot of lean, info, too. Lean, levy, garnishment, and seizure, folks. Self-help wow. remedies straight out of the merchant law. It's the only place they've ever been besides the manorial law 
in Europe on the manors in the feudal system. They used the merchant law as the law of the manor. And mercantoribus mercantor- is two No, it's one word. Mercantoribus. It okay. means mer- it's Latin for merchant. Right. Okay. But that's the tax system. Okay. That's where it came from. That's how it originated. That's how it developed. And that's how they imposed it on us and where it came from. And that's how it works. Okay. Where can Thank we you, read? Roger. I have to dig in. Well, all right. Well, the, uh, I think, <laughs> I think at the, on, on the matrix docs, there's an interview there at the bottom of the interviews that is on this very subject, basically what I just told y'all here today. So, Mark, you got anybody? Anybody got any comments or questions on that? I don't have to let the new people go first. All right. Well, let's see. Are there any new folks we've got giving you a drink of water out of a fire hydrant here today? (laughs) Hey, Roger. Yes. I'm not new, but I just wanted to add. uh, Labor is really the only true value, and hence we are the creditors and enemies of the state that they want dead. Well, I mean, they made us enemies of the state in the Trading with the Enemy Act. But, I mean, like even uh, precious metals and gems, uh, that takes mining and refining. Oh, of course. Of course it is. So I'm just saying, you know, we're really over them. That's why they want us dead. This is, Mark, you've been around this rodeo for a while. Oh, a long time. All yeah. the people that are in there fighting IRS, and they're digging through all these regulations, and and no, oh, it says this here, and the hell, you can't understand it, right? Oh well, yeah, they've literally had a, a rocket engineer, right, say that he couldn't understand the code. Um, you know, the there, IRS code. This was an interesting story. It's going to illustrate exactly what we're talking about here. Okay, this was back in the nineties. You remember an old before they started bundling all these software bundles there used to be a program called grandma tech do you ever hear of that no i haven't heard of that grandma tech no it was developed and written under a federal grant interestingly enough okay and what it was it was before word processors had all this grammar checking stuff included okay and bundled in and so grandma tech you could write something and run it through grandma tech and it would correct all your grammar and punctuation and all that stuff right but you could also with grandma tech run something through it and it would tell you what grade level it was written at whoa and somebody took 6001 6011 and 6012 the three they always throw at you and ran them through Grammatech. What grade level do you think they were written at, Mark? Grade. Oh, what grade? Sixth grade. Sixth grade. I, I think it was way higher than that, so you couldn't understand it. How about grade? Couldn't understand it. How about grade thirty-one? Yeah. Really? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. 
Roger, um, Monica, Johnny, and Tammy are waiting. Then I think they're all new. People. All right. Okay. Well, and they hold, have good questions. Okay. Well, hold on. I'm going to go back and reference from what I just told you that document Woodrow Wilson's repudiation of dollar diplomacy with the Chinese loan from the bankers. They wanted him to co-sign, and he refused it. And in the language in that document, it says part of the reason is because of the proposed tax system being antiquated and burdensome. Does that sound, does that ring true with our tax system? Antiquated and burdensome and enforced by foreign agents. I have a question. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, but hold on. Hold, we only have 20 minutes. Hold on. Hold uh, uh, what's your question? I'll get to the female in a second. What's your question? Just real quick, whenever you guys get a chance, I'd like to know what anybody thinks about <clears throat> the new consumer tax that's being proposed and the IRS being kicked out. Uh, your fat, cha- fat chance. Okay. Fat I, chance of that okay. ever happening because they don't use the IRS just to collect money. They use it to intimidate political opponents and business competitors. Okay. Fat chance. They may give it a new label, but that's it. Okay. Now, who was the? There was somebody that sounded new that had a question there. Monica. I have a question. No. All right. Go ahead. Monica's been waiting, so well, she's been trying I'll to get in. to Monica, but somebody jumps in before she says something, okay? Who was the guy that just says he had a question right there? You can't be shy Hello, around, folks. You can't be shy around here. Your name's Johnny? Uh, yeah. Hey, Hi, guys. All right, we're dealing with Johnny right now. Hold on. We got babies crying, everything else. Johnny, what you got? What's your question? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I just uh, wanted to ask about uh, becoming a national. Um, I came across you through a guy who was teaching. His name uh, was uh, Daniel Metz, I believe. He said he was a student of yours. Um, one question I did not get to ask. I, I still haven't sent in my affidavit to um, the Secretary of State yet. I was I was wondering priorly, like, if you, like, if you're currently receiving any type of federal benefits, like housing, or you school, you receive financial aid, stuff like that, uh, if you become, you change your status, um, would that affect you? Would that, well, like, hurt you as well, far let, as, like, let's, you let's, can no longer receive well, let, benefits? Let's go back to the key word in what you just asked, and that word is benefits. What's a benefit? Uh, something received from the government, I want to say. Well, kind of. Okay. Well, somebody uh-huh. recently went in and did some in-deep research on this, and we got an answer for that question finally, because I didn't know the answer to it either until recently. If you're enrolled in the Social Security system and paying in, contributing through your paycheck and all that stuff, anything you receive from them is not a benefit because you're enrolled in the system. If you're one of these illegals that's flooding across the country and they start handing you cell phones and snap cards and everything else, that's a benefit. 
Does that help clear that up for you? Uh, yeah, I didn't know that difference. Yeah, well, nobody um, else does like either. If you so. were on. I thought it was that you're on a housing program. You're considered, uh, you know, receiving benefits from the federal government. Well, that's what they call it. But are you involved in the Social Security system? Yes. You're, it's not a benefit. And the other thing I'd tell you, okay, Johnny, so hold, on, you- hold on, I'm going to tell you something else. I've been doing this publicly for 12 years now, okay? No one, not one person, has ever come back to me and said that kind of thing happened in their life because they filed this affidavit. Not one person in 12 years has ever come back to me and said they had any adverse effects in their life that they could directly or indirectly pin to filing this paperwork. Part of the reason, part of the reason I think, I think, is because we've got them by the short hairs here. They don't want to bring anything out into any potential public forum where these concepts and issues can be raised. I think that's part of what's going on. Okay? All right. Thank you, Johnny. Where are you, Johnny? Where are you in the country? I'm I'm based in uh, Los Angeles, California. Okay. Well, our sympathies. (laughs) <laughs> Roger, I have a real quick little addition to Thanks that. Answer my question. Okay, you're and, and Johnny, this may help you as well. Um, I saw an application of a friend who was uh, uh, was filling out the Affordable Affordable Care Act, uh, commonly known as Obamacare. And one of the questions they had to ask or answer was, "Are you a U.S. citizen or national?" Yeah. And and the misdirection, of course, is they try to tag that as the U.S. Uh, or the American Samoan. They don't say U.S. national. It just says national. Yeah. And then, you know, commonly known as American Samoa. And, you know, the Affordable Care Act is really a tax, okay? And that went to the Supreme Court. And in those days Correct. when that was being toyed around up to – that getting passed, there was a somebody sent me a, a video on some guy that was going through and reading the whole thing, right? And he gets to this point about the taxation, and he goes, "And non-resident aliens are exempt." And he got really PO'd because he didn't understand non-resident alien was national. How come they're exempt? You know that kind of an attitude, right? Well, he's thinking illegal immigrants. Exactly, Jose, the tomato picker. Okay. Now there was a female. Is it one of? Is Monica? Did we finally get your mic open, sweetie? I think so. There you are. (laughs) Hi, Monica. Yeah. Hi, Monica. Hi, Roger. How you doing? Thank you for this opportunity. Um, Pretty good. as previously mentioned, I've been studying all over the place because um, well, I learned a lot from David Strait, but I, I did see some red flags, so I decided well, to dig a little deeper. It's so not that it's not that it's, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. It's not that you learned a lot. It's huh? it, the question is was what you learned correct? Some of it, not all. I, I've 
because I've been also um, looking into the Uniform Commercial Code and uh, various other things. Um, and it's to my understanding that, honestly, it's all fraud. So I know there's got to be a solution. It it's is. Just what? Um, and is, is the certificate of live birth authentication necessary for the passport? Well, do you have a birth certificate? Uh, no. Um, my original document even said the certificate of live birth. Um, I ordered some through vital check, which, uh, came, it works through vital statistics and every document they had sent me was a certificate of live birth. And I'm not sure if that has anything to do with, uh, being in one of the 13, um, union states. I don't know. It was a New Jersey certificate of live birth. Why did you have a certificate of live birth instead of a birth certificate? Do you know? I have no idea um, because that caused me great confusion too. Because everybody was talking about the authentication of the birth certificate, but um, okay. when I called, uh, they tell me that the certificate of live birth is all they have. Okay, well then that's what you're going to use. You're trying to satisfy a requirement for a DS11, right? Have you ever had a passport before, Monica? I have not. Okay, so you got to use an 11, okay? And one of the requirements of an 11 is a birth certificate or other accepted documentation. So if that's all they're giving you, it, th- that's not the important part of the passport application. The important part is you've got your, okay. your disclaimer in there, okay? Whatever it takes to satisfy the birth certificate requirement find out what it is and satisfy it but make damn sure when you do it you've got your affidavit included in the package that's where the rubber meets the road doesn't make a difference about the birth certificate it makes a difference whether you've got something included in the process that states your status that's now in the possession of the secretary right it goes to secretary of state first the affidavit monica and then you do your passport after well you could do it the other way that's a suggestion okay that's a suggestion because of something that arose about a year ago and but you don't have to do it that way but that may be a better way okay so so, if you uh, don't need your passport okay yeah i didn't do that i didn't do an affidavit with it oh you don't you don't need your passport right away then just file your affidavit with the Department of State, like we've talked about, and then wait three weeks and then file for your passport. Okay, Monica, you just said something. You've already applied with the DS-11, did you say? I, I did. I mailed it in about a month and a half ago. Well, you didn't. With, the post- uh, I did the cover, uh, the, the cover letter. It was the DS-11. Yeah, well, the post office mailed it in for you. You didn't mail it. They won't let you mail it in on a DS-11. Okay, they will on a renewal, which is what now you're going to need to do. Okay, because you didn't include your your statement in with your original package. Now you're still under the presumption. Doesn't matter what the birth certificate is. You're under the presumption you're a citizen of the United States because you didn't expressly tell them you weren't. Right. No, I just uh, requested it to be authenticated for the Taiwan, the non-Hague Convention. Okay, well, I don't know anything about that. Sounds like David Strait crap. Okay, what I'm looking at is in the instructions of the of the DS-11 and the DS-82, the statements in both. 
and it says in big capital letters, warning. Did you see that when you read the instructions? Uh, no. It's in there. It says, warning, you can attach documentation, comma, including affidavits, comma, but you better not lie or we're going to hit you with eight sections of the United States Code. That's your get-out-of-jail-free card. They're telling you in couched, threatening language that you can add documentation, including affidavits, into the package, but they don't tell you why. So what you're going to... Would I want to um, have the affidavit um, notarized? It's best. You don't have to. You can put a simple declaration in, and I'm living proof to that because I just renewed my passport. I got it Thursday. And all I did, because I'm in Ecuador, and for us to get notarization, I got to go hire a damn attorney. And then it's got to be apostilled, which means it's in Spanish and all this other crap. So I just said, I'm just going to send in a declaration this time. I did it. Other people have done it. They recognize it. It does not have to be notarized. It may be a little extra ice, a layer of icing protection if you want to do it that way, because an affidavit is in a special category of law. Okay. A declaration will work. An affidavit may be better. You'll never get contested on it. But my question to people like you, Monica, is do you like sleeping well at night? Yes. Well, anything you can do to help you sleep better at night is what I want you to do. Absolutely. Okay, so now what you're going to need to do, you haven't gotten your passport that you just sent in the application for back, right? Uh, right? No. Okay. When did you send it in? Oh, gosh. I, I don't know the exact Well, date. just an, just an estimate. Just on my two, phone. Um, two weeks, three I weeks. I want to say... The beginning of January. Okay. Well, you ought to have it back by now. That's okay. what I thought. All right. I mean, well, well, all right. I got all kinds of little tips for people like you. Okay. There's a site, uh-huh. a State Department website, where you can tap in and track the progress of your passport application. Since yours seems to be way overdue, you need to find out that site and go track your passport. Okay. Now, the reason okay. I say that is because because with a renewal, if you've got an existing passport, you have to include that in with the renewal package, either it recently expired or existing open. So you're going to need to wait till you get your book. Did you order a book or a card or what? No, I haven't gotten that far. I was just waiting on the authentication of the certificate of live birth. Well, now, hold on. You said you applied for a passport in January. What do you mean you haven't gotten that far? Uh, That was a miscommunication. No, all I've done was the certificate of live birth because I thought I had to have that for the passport purposes. All right, so you have not officially applied for a passport yet. Correct. 
Okay. All right. Well, you're still good. Okay. Now you need to go do a declaration or an affidavit. If you want to do affidavit, I suggest that you might want to, if it's no, not a big deal for you. And when you include all of that, include that in the package. Okay. And what I'd suggest is that go ahead and just put, if that's all you got and that's all they told you at Vital Statistics they had, I would include that and I would also write a short explanatory statement about that to them with those facts on, on your statement and include that also. All right. Okay. So, but do not send it in if, if unless you want to stay a slave. Do not send it in without that affidavit in the package. Okay, so I wonder if the other one's just kind of lost in whatever. Well, other, the other what? <laughs> the other what, Monica? The previous certificate of live birth that I have not received back yet. What did you do with the certificate of live birth that you haven't received back yet? Where did you send it? Um, I sent it to – it was Mercury something, and uh, it was for the Secretary of State. I've got the – it's written here. So are you, are uh, you're sending your live – Department of State, Office of Authentication. Oh, okay. So you're waiting for them to authenticate your live birth certificate before you include it in with the passport application, right? Correct. Okay. Well, wait and let them get let, – let them send it back to you, okay? I have a feeling if that's the only one that you could get from official sources, they'll accept it, Okay. But regardless, whatever, when you do your DS-11, you need to get whatever's acceptable to them as a birth certificate because that's required, and you need to make sure you have that affidavit or declaration included in the package, okay? Okay. And tick the box. So... Can we get to the other person, the new person? Well, we can, we can, but we're going to run out of time, okay? Because there's the whistler right there. I can hang around for a minute, but I like to answer these questions where everybody gets the answer, okay? But who had the other question real quick? Hit hit us with it. Tammy. This is Tammy. Yep. I just had a quick question about showing up to the post office to get my um, passport application. Um, We went there. I didn't have a birth certificate with me, so we had because. I had done the same thing that Monica did, sent it in, and haven't got it back. So I'm just ordering a new one for my son because time is of the essence. Um, but she also asked for a photo ID. The only one he has is driver's license. I was a little hesitant now, to bring forward now, a driver's you, license. You can use that. You can use that. Use the driver's license? Yes, if that's all he's got. Yeah, that's all he has. And then so you had just kind of answered my question with Monica that sending in the affidavit kind of supersedes all of that anyway. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay, perfect. Okay. So we'll just do it the way she wants and get it done, just have the affidavit. Okay. How old's your son? How old's your son? He just turned 18. He's going to okay. uh, Germany right. on a high school that, trip. Okay. Well, that answered my question. So he actually he, needs it for travel. Well, he actually has to sign his own affidavit because he's past the age of majority, too. Okay. Yes. 
Okay. Yes, he did. All right. Yep. So, yep, all right. Well, did. we got Tammy's so question answered. Have all that, there. We were, I was just. Tammy. Thank all you. Right, all right. You're welcome. We're about to get cut off the server here, so I was rushing you. Bye bye, folks. See you Monday.